Welcome to Child Care Bar and Grill Podcast. Jeff Johnson here, Nicole Halton over there. How are you doing, Nicole? I am great. How are you? I am a little bit um, scared. You should be scared. Um, Nicole, next week I, I made an eye appointment. I got to get my, I'm going to have my eyes tested. I think I need glasses. Oh, um, no. Yeah, I thought I needed glasses for about a year. Finally got around to do it because I think I can go in and get the, the do it without having to wear a mask now. So I think that's all taken care of. Um, I, I was thinking about it um, when I made the appointment the other day, the, the nurse receptionist, whatever, was like, when was your last eye exam? And I was like... <sighs> um the late 70s um probably <laughs> in the uh the school gym with the eye chart probably so uh and i love um, it when they make you feel guilty for that then they're yeah, like oh yeah. you should have been in a long time ago yeah i'm like no Ooh. shit um no she was, <laughs> she was actually really nice but now i'm 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 uh i'm fretting about frames um big choice i I gotta i I gotta pick out frames and that's gonna be a hard thing so any listeners have uh any idea what kind of frames i guess because i don't want i don't want hipster frames but i don't want real nerdy frames and it's gonna you've got to you've got to kind of it's it's a struggle i think as you get a bit older because it's i don't want to look old but yeah. then I don't want to look like an old person trying to look young. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, I was hoping <laughs> Not that you're old, but <laughs> well, no, that's what I. That's exactly what I thought you said. Um, I, I was thinking maybe a monocle. Ooh, that'll do it. You like I, the Monopoly man. Yeah, exactly. Like mon- <laughs> Well, again, an old dude thing. Because um, I can't remember when I've ever seen anybody in real life wearing a monocle. So I thought maybe that could be my my thing and go with a go with Bit a, a monocle. Piece. Even if even if both eyes need correction, um, I'd still go with a <laughs> monocle just because because that would make me fifty percent better off than I had been, and so that would be an improvement. Plus, I'd get the uh, the coolness and the uh, the attention of of being the guy that wears the monocle. So um, that's something Jeff, to think the guy about. With the mon- Monocle. Yeah. Um, so listeners, I'd love to know what you think about the monocle. Um, what are we talking about this week, Nicole? Oh, so we're talking about this amazing book that appeared on my bookshelf, uh, the Kids Survival Handbook. It's the Australian and New Zealand edition. And sorry, there was like a moment of silence there as I try to um, parent children. Um, So this Australian and New Zealand survival book is designed for children, unlike the last book that you and I discussed, Jeff. This one is designed for children. Um, And it is, again, from the early 2000s. We're in 2001 and we are kicking off with there's a section on animals well i, I gotta look at the so, cover I, i'm looking okay, at the cover wait, of this nicole and, the cover. and it's uh it's it's camouflage background it's got some little icons yes. it looks like a it's a got guy, all the danger icons a guy a guy surfing over a shark but the the water yes. is red so I, i'm assuming that's lava and the next uh-huh. one there's a, a hand holding i would think it was a firecracker but it's big enough it must be dynamite and then there's I'm somebody who's apparently dr- drowning and drowning in lava, in lava. Lava or maybe jello. Um, maybe. Then there's, it looked like a volcano erupting or something and somebody falling off a cliff. And then, of course, a fire because Australia is always on fire. So it looks always. like a, a very adventurous book. 
It really is. And it's designed as a book to help children survive. So it says, read this first. Most of us like to go off on adventures, hiking in the high country, sailing on the sea or flying to another country. But our trips do not always go smoothly. We could meet an avalanche. We could meet a shark. Our plane could be forced to crash land. All right, so that's the intro. Um, and it gives us sections. It's divided into sections for children. So the first one is a section on animals. Um, it's got what to do if you're bitten by a snake. Now, that is actually really important first aid advice. Uh, when you're in Australia because we're a country of snakes. There's a lot and they're deadly. Did you see any when you were here? I saw lots of snakes. None of them were deadly. Wow. One, one, was ha one, one had half a large frog in its mouth and he looked very, very content. Um, Pretty happy with that. Yeah, no, 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 nothing. None of, none of your nature tried to kill me. Um, that Which was, is surprising because I think it's probably the most common thing that's said about Australia is that everything here is trying to kill you. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what this book does. So it also tells us how to escape from a crocodile. Now, I'm not sure how successful you're going to be if you're taken by a crocodile. Not many people escape from that. Um, they like to get you in a death roll and it's all over. Um, but it does tell children how to escape from a crocodile. It also tells you how to escape from a shark. So you're trying to punch or poke the, poke it in the eyes or the gills, um, and I, just keep hitting it. I would I would I would talk to it about its, its rude manners and uh, and try to shame it into going away because I, I don't believe in violence. So I, well, and this is true. It, it, although it does say if a shark bumps you in the water and then swims away it may be preparing to attack so you could should just get out of the water yeah because they're they're like trying to get they're getting a sniff and uh they're yeah. like hey hey he smells delicious i'm going back for some of that well it does tell you it gives you some strategies for avoiding shark attack like um you know not going into the ocean if you're bleeding that's a good idea so if you've got a big you know like large, half your arms missing or something, yeah, large head wound or something. Um, yeah. How many kids annually are are attacked by by gators and sharks in Australia? Look, no gators. No gators. Oh, don't be silly. Crocs. Oh, yeah, crocs. 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 Um, look, I don't know. The, I don't know the stats on the crocs. It does tell me in this book, as I say, it's about twenty years old, but it does tell me that people kill about a hundred million sharks every year but only about 100 people die each year in shark attacks. And I'm uh, going to guess that that's possibly globally. Um, we actually had a death from a shark attack here yesterday. Yesterday, the day before. Um, not here in Newcastle, thankfully. It was further up the coast. But, yeah, someone actually did die in a shark attack. So it does happen, but not quite as prominently as we would think. Um, further into the animal section, you've got how to avoid a box jellyfish sting. Or how to avoid being attacked by a dingo. Now, did you come across any dingoes when you were here? No dingoes. Lots of uh, lots of signs along the shore saying, "Hey, stay out of here. Those jellyfish are going to kick your ass." Um, the jellyfish are pretty brutal. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I think the they way can you be deadly. the way you avoid jellyfish is to stay out of the water in jellyfish season, uh, yes. which appears to be all the time in some places. Pretty much all the time in some areas. Yes. Uh, what to do if you're chased by bees? um how to escape from ants if if you have a jellyfish sting are you supposed to uh, have somebody pee on it i think you are 
Let me just check. I think that's, um, I, I, that just sounds like something one guy would say to another guy just to, just to screw with them. But, and it, and it has kind of followed through for a really long time. Um, no, it doesn't tell you that you should. It actually just tells you to pour at least four liters of vinegar over the stung, stung yeah. area. Yeah. You don't four need four liters is a lot of vinegar. That's a lot of vinegar. And you don't need to drink it first. That would no. wouldn't be a good idea. No, but it also says not to pour alcohol on it. No, I, I would, I, I've never met an Australian that would, uh, would, would waste, waste their alcohol. alcohol like that. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff not. is pricey over there. Yeah. Um, so then it goes on to in the next section. The next session is on uh, natural dangers. So it's things like quicksand, which I didn't even know we had quicksand here, to be fair. Um, but apparently there is quicksand. Uh, for, for, for the animals, I mean, I just remember that you talked about the animals in in our our first trip over there. We we visited a a where was it? Adelaide area, I think it was was a, a school, a forest, not a forest school. It was like a a, a, a elementary school, school that was up in, in the forest. Yeah, there is one in. There's a really good one in Adelaide. It was probably yeah, and there. so we're we had these these two girls, nine ten, that were giving us a tour, and um, I of course asked, you know, what about you're you're out here in the nature all the time, and and they're like, I'm like, what what about the snakes, and and they're like. Um, no big deal. When you see them, you just leave them alone. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And, and she was talking like, you know, if you, you climb up that tree and you sit there for 20 minutes, quiet, the kangaroos will come out. And, uh, and that was cool. But, but these two girls, they were, I mean, they were worried about the spiders or anything because they, they had a little, I mean, maybe they had this book, I don't know, but you know, so that, that little bit but of they awareness grow up around it. And I think that's, that's one of the big things with, you know, kind of nature-based education here and why the push for it is there's there's sort of two camps. There's the people who really love nature-based education here in Australia mm -hmm. and are like, yes, we need to get outside more. We've, you know, we live in such an amazing place with amazing opportunities for being outside. The weather's pretty, you know, pretty good most of the year. Like you can be outside most of the year. And then there's those other people who are like, oh, there's spiders and there's snakes and there's, you know, box jellyfish or whatever. Um, but I think when we give children the opportunities to actually be aware of those risks and to mm -hmm. actually respond to them appropriately, then they rise to that and it keeps them safe. I mean, it, it is possible that it, it, in your lifetime in Australia that you might get bitten by a snake. It's possible. Um, it's not likely, but no. it's possible. But if you know how to deal with it, you know, if you, and we've, we've been in many, we do a lot of bushwalking, like as a family and um, we go out, as you would say over there, go out in the woods, um, but we go out in the bush here <laughs> and um, we take the kids out and we have encountered a couple of snakes and we go and stay on a friend's farm and when we're not in COVID lockdown, we go and stay on a friend's farm quite a bit. Uh, they've got a quite a big sheep property and, you know, my husband got out of the you on the farm once got out and almost stood straight on a red belly, which is one of our worst kind of snakes. Not particularly aggressive, but not real great if they bite you. Um, but, you know, my kids all know this is how you deal with when you see a snake. You know, do we run? Do we scream? Do we, you know, we don't do any of that. We stand still. We wait for it to pass because usually that's what will happen. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, it's it's just one of those things. It's even the same if they find a spider in the backyard. They just come and say, oh, there's a spider here. Let's go have a look. Oh, yeah, that doesn't look real great. Let's move that along, you know. And I think when we try not to give children those opportunities, we say, oh, we'll just keep them away from that. And you're actually robbing them of that being able to survive, I suppose, or being able to be a part of the natural world. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, same thing over here in this corner of the world. I mean, we've got places in, in like uh, the southwest here where where things like scorpions are are oh. a concern to be outside. And, you know, I've I've visited forest schools in in uh, in the Canada where where bears um, are, are a thing, um, not a yeah. likely thing, but they're a thing. But that's the and, thing, yeah. And and programs in uh, in the United States that are right outside uh, uh, Yellowstone National Park, which is this huge natural area where there are, are wolves and bison and mountain lions, and it, and so I mean I, I think I think the U.S. and Canada could really uh, really stack up some uh, some dangerous animals compared to yours <laughs> because we've got I mean pound for pound we've got grizzly bears and bison. You don't have any. I was going to say big... yours tend to be big big scary animals ours aren't the big ones that are the scary ones they're the small ones yeah yeah, the the little spiders even well the um the jellyfish up in uh far north queensland the irukandji is like this tiny little they reckon it's like just a little glob of something that you can barely even see and yet they can kill you and it's like that's a bit intimidating like it's just this tiny little thing in the water you can barely even see it but you've just got to believe that they're there because if you get stung by one it's yeah. not a good outcome yeah so is there is there stuff in that book that that kids should be learning in their in their early yes. learning programs uh fire Absolutely. stuff and yes i've got that i've got that page bookmarked i knew you'd like that one um there was there's some things that i think they probably don't need to know but there's a whole bunch of stuff that's really cool using a pocket knife so we had um uh oh, we had a little boy come to our timbernock school holiday program oh, last year sometime i think and he we often use tools and things there so we use little whittling knives and often the kids start out with potato peelers first um, and learn to actually just maneuver it on soft wood and mm-hmm. um, this kid came with his own knife and I was like legend he's come prepared he's come with his own knife and I kind of thought back did he to say when I was that's a not kid, a knife this is a that, knife, this is a knife. <laughs> that's right <laughs> he did not um he should have and there's one of your old references um <laughs> but he came with his own pocket knife and I thought you know there, there would be some people who'd be horrified by that uh-huh. by children by a child arriving at a program with a pocket knife um you know it's like oh my gosh he shouldn't have a knife um, but you know, he knew how to use it mm-hmm. and he knew what it was for. And he was able to kind of show other children then how to use that and how to use it safely and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And watching some of the children maneuver those sorts of tools, some of them made me nervous because I'd think, oh my gosh, they're going to lose a finger because they've never, ever experienced anything like that before. Mm-hmm. And so if they wanted a piece of rope to be able to make a rope swing, they needed to come and say, can you cut this piece of rope for me? Whereas this kid's like, I can cut it. I can do that. And I think, you know, there's a, a generation of children now that are losing a lot of basic. I mean, this book talks about it being survival skills and it's not even necessarily survival skills, but they're just losing basic skills because we're afraid of letting them loose with things like pocket knives. 
Yeah, yeah, and you know they're they're also losing the chance to to feel powerful and capable, which yeah, which is is, is valuable because too. I've got to come and ask. I've got now, to come I, and ask someone yeah, to do this for me. Yeah, when when they could totally do it themselves. Um, I I like pocket knives. My I for for young kids, I would um would would gravitate more towards uh, straight blade knives because my experience is the the most the the time where injury is most likely with pocket knives is in the opening and closing flicking in and out yeah <laughs> it's like, yeah well, well absolutely that's when it. that's yeah. when when they're gonna when they when they tend to get themselves and so just a a a, a regular knife uh for for kids is is as long you know you want to have a sheath for it and everything but uh that 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 takes away that that time where where they're most likely to to nip a finger when that blade is coming yeah. in and out so um, and, and yeah. switch blades, switch blades, not a good idea because uh, <laughs> it could. But, um, there is how to safely build a campfire. So it talks to you about what sort of materials you can use to build the campfire. So you can use like you need your tinder. So you need like dead moss or dead leaves or little strips of bark or whatever. Then you need your kindling, so your bigger stuff, like your fine twigs um, and then your main fuel your big thick sticks mm -hmm. and logs and whatever but it actually shows you how to set it up and this is again one of those things that we do um, at our Timberwolf program is you know the children if they want to fire for the day well then we actually have to build it and get it started and if you can't light the fire well we don't have a fire like you have to learn how to set the fire and light the fire um, which you know can be a challenge for some children but it's also a really great exercise in persistence. And and mm -hmm. how many how many of the kids that you've taught this skill have have went home and and burnt down the house? I'd say none. Oh, none thus that, far. None thus far. That's that's and a, I think it's funny because that is one of the big misconceptions. I think is that concept of playing with fire, and mm -hmm. you know, children need to be afraid of fire. And look, we don't want any child going home and setting fire to the house, but the child who plays with a cigarette lighter because it's left lying around is far more likely to set fire to the house than the child who learns fire safety and how to actually set up a fire properly and use the right materials and how to, you know, how to put it out safely. And, you know, and that's all a part of what we do with the children in the holiday program is, you know, really talking about that whole process. You know, if we're going to have a fire, we also talk about the fact that, you know, for a large part of time in Australia, you can't have a fire because it's too hot. Yeah. You know, it's too windy. It's just, it's, it's dangerous. And we've got, you know, we often have fire bans, you know, all throughout summer. So you can't light a fire. Um, and so we have that conversation as well. And it's funny, actually, you bring that up if, oh, quite a few years ago now um, when Tash and I were working in a service together, we used to walk, um, there was bushland behind the service. We used to take the children for bushwalks out there all the time. And um, on this one particular day, just her and I went for a walk on our lunch break and we come across a group of kids and they were trying to start a fire out in the bush. And, um, yeah, they were primary school sort of age children. and um, you know, we sort of stopped and had a bit of a chat to them about it. And, you know, I afterwards we were like, oh, man, that's such a tricky situation because we understood why they were at that. They were bored. They were looking for something to do. They thought they might be interesting and fun. And, look, it is interesting. It's, you know, you're curious. You want to know how to do that stuff. And um, it was just that their choice of location and their method of trying to get a fire started was not ideal. Um, and we sort of talked about that then. And that was before we were doing 
you know, a lot of this sort of stuff with children. Um, and we talked about that then, you know, that importance of really setting that foundation for children really early, that they've had those opportunities to learn those skills, but also to learn what can go wrong. You know, like I think it's easy to tell children, don't play with fire, but it's, you know, it, it's much harder to kind of really go through that whole process and to keep them safe and, you know, for them to learn how to keep themselves safe and, to you know, all those sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, I like that in this book it kind of tells you how to do that and yeah. it actually talks about the fire band thing too. I mean, kid, knives and fire and jellyfish all of those things are interesting and yeah. and instead of saying 100 with a, a blanket a blanket uh no contact no no interaction with those things uh policy which which you, you can enforce and it's unrealistic yeah being able to uh to have some skills to manage them uh having a little bit of uh, uh knowledge about fire that you got from a, a a concerned uh thoughtful adult prepares you for for those situations where you you might be thinking about doing something dumb with it and um yeah that's a that's a that's a good uh, good skill to have anything else cool in the book uh it talks about how to find like uh, bush tucker which i think is kind of cool um we've got so much edible stuff here um tucker you know, talks about eat americans yes <laughs> bush tucker stuff you can eat from the bush um so things like witchetty grubs and honey ants mm, uh, insects snails worms um koala wild- well, passion fruit probably wouldn't eat koala. Um, no, is there, so, there a rule no, against that? There may be, but they're pretty aggressive too. They're <laughs> really cute, though. And my 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 theory is that they look the, cute. The, yeah, well, the 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 most delicious things are the cutest things. That's why lamb. <laughs> They try and suck you in with being cute. Lamb is delicious. They're also really hard to find. It is incredibly difficult to find a wild koala. So you'd find that a challenge. I don't think, I think if you were putting your money on, you know, I'm going to survive out here in the wilderness by eating wild koala, you're a goner. Probably not. Not going to happen. Um, But then it it also talks to you about like storing and cooking food. You know, and I think that's one of those skills that a lot of children probably don't have um, is being able to actually prepare and cook some food. Um, it's kind of like this, the book reminds me, so when I was, I don't know, maybe seven or eight or something like that, I was in what's possibly known, I think it's known over there as the Boy Scouts. And I was in the Boy Scouts. I was one of two girls in our Boy Scouts. Um, and we that's what we did. We did all of this sort of stuff. And I yeah. think, you know, that doesn't really exist anymore. And there's probably a number of reasons for that. Um, but those sorts of opportunities don't seem to be as prevalent for children anymore or as encouraged, um, you know, and, I mean, you could bang on about, you know, children spending so much time on screens and all that sort of stuff. There's all those issues, but I just think, you know, there's a lack of that trust in children too. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, children aren't, they need to have the skills to survive where they are. And I'm just guessing here because that's the way it is here. There were, there were probably plenty of children in, uh, in Brisbane and Sydney and uh, Melbourne that don't come in contact with nature. And so they don't need yeah. those skills. Like just the same as there are kids in, in the, the big cities here that have those. And so as we wrap this up, I, I, I would challenge programs to think about what kind of skills are kids walking away from their programs with that they can actually use in life? 
because a lot of what goes on in early learning programs is this make work kind of preparation for kindergarten, stacking blocks and colors. And yeah, yeah. Filler is exactly what it is. And, and how much, how much more useful could our programs or educational systems be if we were actually teaching useful life skills? Um, it may not be how to, how to carve a, dagger to kill a zombie with a pocket knife that might not it come could be in useful handy, though. You but uh and 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 you're, you're talking about using potato peelers with uh with kids and as an introductory knife what about how to use a potato peeler how to peel a potato yeah yeah i mean those kind of kind of skills uh how to how to how to wash a dish how to do laundry <laughs> All, all those yeah. kind of things that uh, that young kids can even be kind of be made aware of. I mean, there are all kinds of kitchen skills that they could be be made aware of, and 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 tool use, screwdrivers and hammers, and that kind of stuff yeah. that are that are not only giving them skills that they could use in life, but also developing fine motor and and visual tracking and all these other kind of skills that are going to prepare them to be quote unquote school ready as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, actually, the last page um, of the book is knots and it teaches you how to tie some different types of knots. And I know you were interested in knot tying um, because we talked about uh, some training next year, I think, and I think Tash was going to look at doing some somehow some online knot tying and fire stuff with children. <laughs> I, th I think that's great because that's practical skills. And I, th I think one of the reasons early learning programs and, and caregivers shy away from this is that they don't have, they're they not comfortable with those skills themselves. And so it's hard to teach some, somebody something that you're, you're not, you don't know how to do, you're not comfortable with. And so yeah. one of the ways that programs might want to do, or one of the tasks programs might want to engage in to prep themselves for this is, is to get a book like this. And the, this stuff, this stuff is all over the internet, these, these yes. practical skills yeah. and practice yourself so that, so that you can, you can help kids and, and actually feel comfortable about it yourself. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, if you are uncomfortable with fire, you're going to do a shitty job showing kids how to, how to build a, build a fire. I mean, and it's not, I think if you're not comfortable too, and I, it's funny you say about the fire thing, cause we talk about that a lot here. Um, and I don't know whether it's the same in the U S but in the last probably two or three years, having a fire or a fire pit in your service has become kind of like the thing to do. And, you know, we get asked by people all the time, oh, can you come and help us put in a fire pit? And it's one thing to put in a fire pit, and I say that as I'm looking at my fire pit in the backyard. Um, it's one thing to put in a fire pit, but do you actually know how to use fire with children? Do you know how to start a fire? Do you know how to create a fire? Do you know this fire safety? What are you actually, what are you hoping to achieve by doing this? And I think unless you as the adult and the educator feel comfortable with that, with that whole process and, you know, it's, you're doing them a disservice by doing it at all. Like you, you really need to get comfortable with that. And so I think that's where, you know, learning to have some of those basic skills, you yeah. know, that you can then share is, you know, it's so valid and so important for children that we have those. So, yeah, I think if you can find this um, very cool kids survival book or handbook, um, I don't know, it, it says it's the Australian and New Zealand edition. So I'm going to guess that there's other editions out there. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I bet if you look online, you'll find all kinds of stuff along those lines. Yeah. Um, I think this is, this is really Im- interesting. Um, as oh, there are two thoughts in my head. I don't know which one. To, okay. So one, I think what if, what if you started looking at, at your whole approach to early learning as giving kids survival skills, because look, teaching them how to helping them learn how to self-regulate, helping them develop social skills, helping them learn to manage their emotions. All of those are survival skills. Yeah. I think we get, we get locked down in this idea that our job in early learning is to, to shove them off into kindy um, as, as soon as they, they, they have that birthday and are kindy ready. Um, when I always tried to look at it as our job was to not prepare them for a year or two from now, but for 50 or 60 years from now, what kind of people yeah. are we building? And so what yeah. kind of survival skills could we give them that they're going to carry forward? And I think that's kind of a, a, a different way of looking at things. That, well, that might- and it ties in, it ties in with, you know, I, I know it's become a buzzword here over the last couple of years, that concept of resilience, you know, of children being resilient and building resilient children, resilient human beings. And I think you know, that really ties in well with that because you know, you are resilient when you feel equipped to deal with things. Yeah. If you've not been equipped and you've not been exposed to opportunities to actually learn how to do things, how to take care of yourself, how to, you know, I mean, some of the examples in this are so simple and yet so many children would not know how to do them. You and, know, and they'd many not adults. know what to do. Yeah, and many adults. What what do you do if you get lost? You know, what do you do if you get lost somewhere? How do you get someone's attention? Or, you know, how do you treat a burn if you get burnt? Or, you know, like just those really pretty simple things and yeah as you say there's children and adults that have absolutely no concept how do you find your way home if your 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 cell phone coverage comes down and google maps well, that's goes right. off? i mean it's all over <laughs> uh, i think another <laughs> another point to take away is that a lot of these things are are prime opportunities for effective direct instruction. Now, direct instruction, when you're forcing kids to sit down and learn something you think they need to know is maybe not effective, but, but timely and interesting direct instruction when, when the person being instructed actually cares about, uh, about the topic, being able to, to give them some, Hey, here's how you do this information is, is a, is a prime way to do that when they're, when they're interested and, and kind of primed for it is a, is a great way to share those skills and um and and look learning how to build a fire or or sharpen a stick with a knife is is maybe not necessarily the best figure it out in your own kind of activity um yeah a little bit of, <laughs> probably not and i mean i mean to, i mean it could totally be done but there are probably there are probably safer ways to to do those kind of things and well and, even like you know um, i mean peter gray talks so much about like you know um childhood in hunter-gatherer tribes and like I can remember him telling this story about you know children being able to use the axe when they were high like tall enough to reach where the axe was stuck into the tree because Mm -hmm. that's where we keep the axe and so when the child's tall enough well then you're able to kind of use that but there was always that kind of that direct instruction through you know say storytelling and you know um being with older adults you know the children were with the adults when they were doing things and so they learnt those skills and I think oh look that could this has just gone off on a big tangent in my head but I think when we've removed children in a way from kind of that concept of the village or the tribe or whatever and they're now put into 
you know, early childhood programs or whatever, we, we lose some of those opportunities for that modeled learning of real life skills. Yeah, yeah. And does that and make sense? Other... That was a huge tangent in my mind that I could have gone completely the other direction, but I've tried to rein it in. <laughs> well, write it down and we'll make that a future episode. Okay. The other thing is there's we're living in a world where there's a lot more to know than there was yes. 2000 years ago. There's just a lot more yeah. information to have and you can't have it all. And so you got to figure out what's important for people living in my culture at this time and, and try to give them those skills. So, I mean, there are plenty of kids in, in Australia that don't need to know about jellyfish because they maybe don't ever Go to the ocean the shore um yeah. and and that's and and so maybe maybe knowing how to find their way home when 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 the cell phone goes dead is is a more practical skill it's a pretty so big skill yeah yeah it's about those practical things any final thoughts on this before we wrap it up no i think that's it hopefully uh, you are now equipped to survive in australia uh, yeah. you already survived you i did survived it. but that was that was mostly because you were at the other end of the cell phone uh, uh <laughs> guiding me so keeping me safe like a like a fairy godmother this is the child care bar and grill podcast back soon with another episode thanks for listening bye-bye bye This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.